Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now we continue our series on beginnings with the Gospel of Mark. Here's Pastor Joel's message, Knowing Jesus as King. Now, before we get to the text, I actually wanted to share with you an experience that I've had to kind of set up this message. It's an experience that you probably have all had, too, where you're walking along and someone's on the phone and they get the good news or a good message and, and they tell you, uh, they say something, yes, that's so great, he doesn't have to go. And you're like, what are you talking about? I don't, it's good news to, to them, but you, you really don't know uh, what they're even talking about. This, this happens to me. Uh, several times, but most often when my wife Amy reads a book. Uh, because she likes to read those World War II novels with characters, uh, you know, kind of how uh, they walking through uh, World War II um, concentration camps and just the life stories of them. And, and one time she was reading uh, one of those books, and uh, this is like early on in our marriage, and she pops her head up from the book, about three quarters of the way through, pops her head up from the book, and almost in tears is like, she got new clothes. <laughs> and I'm like, great. <laughs> it's like, don't you see it? Don't you see the good news? It's, it's such good news. She got new clothes. And, and I'm like, yay. <laughs> I'm sure the blank look on my face told her he didn't know what in the world I'm talking about. So she, had to, she actually had to go back and tell me the story of why it's good news that she got new, new clothes. Uh, she, something in her uh, like was boiling up that she, just, she had to share it. She got new clothes. I mean, she just had to share it. But for me, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand that it, was, that it was good news. Now, in much the same way this morning, as we approach the gospel according to Matthew uh, or Mark, Mark begins his gospel account with good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Good news. But even much like us, I'm sure for his audience, he's like, oh, let's go back and let me tell you the story of why this is such good news. Because today we're going to see that the good news that Jesus coming as king, that Jesus is the king. He's come as king. He is king. That's good news. And he might even be sitting here today going, well, I didn't know I was looking for a king. I don't even, why is that good news that Jesus is, is king? Uh, don't we have like a, a democracy? Don't we, like why, we don't have a king? Like, well, I'm not even looking for a king. What does that have to do with me? Well, th this brings us back to our text today. As, as Mark, he is announcing this good news of Jesus as the king, and then he's going to tell us stories, uh, two stories, that are going to bring us to the point where we see this climactic end of the promise of God in Jesus Christ. That, that this promise of Jesus from long ago is finding its fulfillment in Jesus as being the king, and he's going to do that through two stories. He's going to do that through the story of the prophets, and he's going to do that through the story of Jesus as king, Jesus be becoming king. 
So here's the first one, the story of the prophets. So good news, Jesus has come as king. Amen? Well, uh, as Mark begins his gospel, he's like, oh yeah, let me go back and and remind you of a story that, that builds on that to make Jesus as king such good news. It's the story of the prophets. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, for Mark, it begins actually back in the, the prophets. It doesn't begin with Jesus on the cross. It begins with the, the prophets. Now he says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. In, in your Bible, it may not even have a footnote. Uh, some manuscripts just say the prophets. Uh, probably more than likely, Isaiah stands for like the front runner of the prophets or one of the major prophets because he's... Uh, he, Isaiah was like saying the, the prophets. Um, because really what's happening here, and if you look down in, in, your, in your Bibles, if you have them, uh, and you'll see those two verses, uh, and they, they're smashed together as one quote, but they're actually from two different places. Uh, the, the first one, the first verse in verse 2, is actually from Malachi 3. And, and the second one is from Isaiah 40. Now, uh, not, prophets are probably some of the least known parts of our, our Bible. Uh, Isaiah, if you wanted to look where that's at, it's on page 530 of your pew Bible, page 530. And Malachi, if you want to find that, is actually at the very end of the Old Testament. So go to Matthew and just flip back. Uh, he, here's what Mark is doing, and it's, it, is, it is so beautiful. He's going, is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ... It's written in Isaiah, in the prophets. And he begins with like the, one of the earliest prophets, I mean, besides the Samuel and all those, one of the earliest prophets. And he goes from there, and he, and he quotes from Isaiah, and he quotes from Malachi, the very last one. And he smashes them together like they're one uh, story. He, he takes the whole of the prophets and goes, don't you see the good news of Jesus well, let's start in the prophets. Let me tell you the story of the prophets. So, so even in doing these, these two quotes from Malachi and Isaiah, he's going, let me, let me summarize the whole prophets in who Jesus is. Uh, so he wants you to have this story in mind, the story of Israel. So let me just recap it very quick. Uh, Israel's down in Egypt. They're slaves. They start growing to be a huge number of uh, people. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord rescues them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of death. They go through the Red Sea where God directs them, not north to Israel, but actually southeast down to the Red Sea. They go through the waters, and as they're going through those waters, after they've been saved from slavery, they go through the waters and they sing this beautiful song. And the song goes, the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. You've heard that, you've read that song. At the end of that song, uh, they say for the very first time, God is our king forever and ever. There's an announcement of God being their king forever. Well, then the Lord leads them out into uh, the wilderness where they wander around, and they finally get into the promised land where they, they battle most of their enemies, not all of them, most of their enemies. They kind of settle in the land, and eventually they build a temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, uh, they do all these like ceremonies and worship and, and speeches. And then the Holy Spirit, like in this form of like a cloud, the presence of God rests in the temple. God is dwelling with his people. And it's a good thing. Well, uh, un- until the people get so evil 
and vile and corrupt, that they fill the temple with all kinds of debauchery and evil and other gods and idols and worship, I mean, just, eat, just yucky. And so finally the Lord goes, that's enough, I'm, I'm done. Uh, so Ezekiel gets this vision of the spirit of the Lord, God's presence like this cloud rising from the temple and hovering above the temple. And then it makes its way to the east, onto the mountains, and then finally disappears out of sight. God's presence is gone. The temple is empty. And, and not only that, it worse becomes worse because the nation of Babylon is coming in and sieging Jerusalem. They, they can't get any food uh, in the thing. They're starving to death, and it's lasting years. They're destroying the temple, and they're being uh, carted off uh, into exile. They're either killed or carted off. There's a few people that remain in Jerusalem. And the goodness that they had, the life that was so great with God's presence and dwelling in the promised land has now been completely ruined by their sin and rebellion. And the people living in Jerusalem, they have to feel hopeless and broken. Now what? Until from the towers, they see a long distance off, they see this runner coming with a scroll in his hand. Good news, good news, good news. He gets to Jerusalem and says, God will come back as your king. He won't forget you forever. He'll come and heal your land. He'll, he'll bind the, the broken. He, he will make things anew and afresh again. The Lord is going to come back and reign with you on his throne in the temple once again. It's a promise. He's coming. He won't forget forever. He's going to come back. And that's the story that Mark is sharing in those two little verses. It's just a masterful way. So let's look real quick at those two verses. Uh, verse 2. He says, as is written Isaiah the prophet, and then actually quotes from Malachi. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The promise in, in Malachi is, is that I'm not going to leave you forever. And in fact, when the, before the Lord comes back, I'm going to send a messenger that's going to wake you up. Wake up, guys. He's coming. He's coming. Wake up. And if you turn the page in the book of Malachi, you'll see there's a, there's a whole chapter on this. Uh, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet. Elijah is going to come and wake you up. Elijah's been dead for a long time. But he says, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, to, to warn you that, that the Lord is, is on his way back. So that's the first one from, from Malachi. There, here's the next quote. He quotes from Isaiah 40 in verse 3. It says, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He squishes both of those uh, prophecies together as one story, and they're hundreds of years uh, apart, but he's summarizing all of the prophets. He's saying that voice in the wilderness that's preparing uh, the way, it's outside of the city. It's not where uh, you would think it would be, where all the glamour and power and authority is. No, it's outside of the city, in, in the wilderness, and he's crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. And the word the Lord there is taken from the Hebrew in, in Isaiah is Yahweh. It's It's... God's name. The Lord himself is going to come back as the king of Israel. Are you ready? God is coming. And this voice in the wilderness is almost like calling out, come out, come out, meet your king. 
return, repent, come out here and meet your king as he comes into the town. So the story of the prophets, according to Mark, as he's reading these and meditating on them, is really about two, uh, two people coming. One of them is a messenger who's preparing the way, and the other person that's coming is the Lord himself. The messenger and the Lord. One of them, the announcing the good news. And, and the other one is going to come as, as king and reign and rule in Jerusalem and set things back the way they should be. They're, they're, they're waiting for the presence of the Lord that has left the temple to come back from the east over the mountains, back over its temple and settle in again, and God's dwelling will be with man again. And then, maybe then, our land will be restored and healed. Well, so that's the whole story of the prophets, really summed up the way Mark would do it. And then Mark, he goes, okay, now that you have that story in mind, I'm going to tell you another story. This is the story of a man from Nazareth as he comes and becomes king. He presents Jesus as this climactic fulfillment of the whole story of God. You see, the prophet said, there's a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And Mark here is going to connect the dots for us, just in case we can't see it. He's like, there's a voice crying in the wilderness. And then look in verse 4. Oh, and there just happens to be John. He, he appeared, baptizing, and where is he? In the wilderness. And he's proclaiming this message. He's crying out. So there's a man in the wilderness crying out. And Mark's like, do you see? A voice of the one crying in the wilderness. The messenger has come. John the Baptist is here. And he's, he's calling out, repent. Get ready. Come out to meet. Your king is, is coming. And then in odd fashion, he like says, uh, and here's what John was wearing. Uh, he's wearing... Uh, a nice camel hair a jacket from JCPenney and a leather belt from, like, you're like, why is he? T-? Then all of a sudden he's telling us about his, his dress, which seems odd, but it's not random at all. Mark, in, in a way that I don't think he could do it any clear, is going, don't you see John the Baptist is wearing Elijah wear? Like if he had a brand name, Elijah's dress, he's identifying with Elijah. There's a story in 2 Kings where the king of Israel uh, is evil, and he sends out these messengers to kind of get a word from the Lord, uh, but it's not the Lord. He's actually doing other gods and idols. And Elijah stops the messengers and gives him the, the judgment of the Lord and sends those messengers back to the king. And the king gets that news, and then he's like, oh, man, what, where'd that come from? So 2 Kings 1, in verse 7, uh, the king, he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? So the messengers, they, they answered him, well, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And immediately they go, ah, that's Elijah, the Tishbite. They knew who Elijah was by what he was wearing. Uh, that's how they recognized who Elijah was. And so John, who's in the wilderness, crying out, is wearing the very same thing to identify with Elijah. Mark's connecting the dots. Don't you see? The messenger, the voice has come. Elijah, he's preparing our way. And this person of John the Baptist. So if the messenger has come, the next person we're looking for is the Lord. The Lord's coming back. 
He's, he's going to fix everything. He's going to heal things. He's going to make things right. The Lord is coming. His, his presence back to the temple to fill the temple once again. He, he's coming. Get ready. Get ready. And all their eyes are to the east going, when is his presence going to come back? When all of a sudden, this Jewish guy who didn't even look that great comes over the mountain and he's from Nazareth in Galilee. As they're looking for their eyes to the east to see the presence of the Lord come back, they see Jesus. They see God in the flesh. And Jesus' first stop is to go down to the Jordan River, the place where the Israelites first crossed over to enter the Promised Land. Jesus, who's redoing the story of Israel, and we'll get it right, he goes down and is baptized in the short, condensed version that Mark gives it. And he's baptized, and then a voice calls out from heaven and says, You are my beloved son. This is the story of King Jesus. He's called the Son of God. This is good news. The Son of God. And you might be thinking, well, why is that good news, that he's called the the Son of God. Well, we need actually the rest of the story to fill us in on why being called the Son of God from this voice from heaven is such good news. The Son of God is actually a title in, in Hebrew. And it's actually going to take a little bit of mental exercise not to, not to hear Son of God and automatically categorize it in what we know and have experienced. So we, we think of like, oh, my sons like Caleb and Elijah. Uh, you know, um, I have a relationship with my wife, and then we've created something new that's... Uh, you know, my son, I've made, I've made a, a son. That's not what this is talking about here. God did not create or make a, a son. If we do that, we actually get to some very uh, horrible places where other uh, sects have gone, like, like Mormonism. That's what they believe, that God made a, a son. That's not what this is talking about here. This is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible. There's a story behind the Son of God. Mark is reflecting on all those passages uh, together by saying Son of God. And what he means by the title Son of God is this eternal king that is going to come in the line of David, that is going to sit on the throne forever and make things right again. Who's going to rule in the righteousness of God? Who's going to be the king? Capital T-H-E, the king. The title of Son of God means the king. Let me just show you one example, okay? Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 2. You know, Psalms are some of my favorite favorites in the world. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is, uh, it starts off with, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, why is this rebellion, this crooked rebellion going on, and it's against the Lord and against his anointed. Uh, the anointed, that's the word Messiah, Christ. Uh, so the people, everyone is in, is in rebellion and sin, and they want nothing to do with the Lord or his anointed, the Messiah. Uh, and so then the Lord's going to uh, respond to that. How, how will the Lord respond to the sinful brokenness of humanity that's in rebellion against him? In verse 6. This is how the Lord responds to the sinfulness. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Zion's another name for Jerusalem. God's response to sinful humanity 
is I'm going to install a king in Jerusalem. And then the king speaks. So verse 7, we actually have a different, different speaker. The, the king is now speaking. He said, I'm going to set up my king. And the king goes, okay, I will tell of the decree. The decree is that he, God has made him king in Zion. The, de- the decree to make him king. The Lord said to me, so there's this relationship going on, this communication, this, this talk. The Lord said to me, the king, he said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. No, no, he didn't birth him that day. That's not the day he was born. It was the day that he was installed and anointed as king. And God says to him, God says to this king, you are my son. You are the one that's going to rule and reign over all the earth forever in righteousness and power. Now Jesus comes, and the first place he goes is to John the Baptist to be baptized. And after he's baptized, a voice from heaven cries out, You are my beloved son. Which means, this is my king. This is the king we've been waiting for for so long. Who's going to deal with the sinful, hardened hearts of all humanity. Who's going to bring hope and healing and victory and salvation and meaning. This is My son, you're my beloved son. Mark begins his story with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he tells him, let me tell you how he became the son of God. He's the king that's going to rule forever and ever in righteousness and power. Don't you see the good news? So Mark uses the term gospel here, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The, the gospel is the word evangelion in, in Greek. You might have heard that term before. It's good news. It literally means good message or good, good news. It's to, it's to be proclaimed. It's not advice. It's not information. This is news that you respond to, either the affirmative or the negative. You, you have a choice, but it's, it's news. You don't, you don't negotiate with it. It's just what it is. And, and this evangelion, this gospel, is really used for national news in, in Hebrew history. National news on an epic scale for all of the nation that's good. So when Solomon is enthroned as king, they they pronounced evangelion. Good news. Solomon reigns as as king. We should celebrate. This is good news. We we have a king that's going to lead us. Well, of course, he does some bad things. Uh, It's good news when they're going out to battle. And the messengers come back with good news. Hey, we've won the victory. They'll bring back, the messengers will bring back the evangelion, the good news, the gospel. Look, you've won in victory. You're still king. You have authority and power over, over your enemies. Evangelion, good news, the gospel. You've won. The king reigns on the throne. That's the gospel. So when Mark starts his account of the gospel. He starts with the beginning of the gospel, the good news, the evangelion of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one who we've been longing for and waiting for, the son of God who is the king of not only Israel but the whole world. So here's here's the good news for you and I. When you were lost, when you were broken, when you were rebellious, but when you didn't live up to be the father that you should have been, when, when you responded in anger and hurt and rebellion, when, when all of these things just shattered in your world, the Lord 
sent Jesus as the king to go, I'm coming to make it right. I'm bringing a kingdom with me, and I'm inviting you in to that kingdom. Good news. Jesus has come in the flesh to forgive you of your sins, to heal your hurts, to put the world at right. He offers salvation and forgiveness. He actually offers, uh, the good news is that he has this kingdom that he's, he's inviting you into. Uh, the only door to that kingdom is through Jesus and through his death and resurrection. But, but once you've accepted that and Jesus is your king, uh, from then on you have this whole kingdom to explore. The, these living with the people of God in this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Lord, accepting Jesus as king can change your life. It's like upside down kingdom that actually brings meaning and depth out of relationships that we don't just get together and talk about sports or NASCAR. Uh, there's a depth there. There's a kingdom that we can experience as people living together. And, and I know there's uh, several of you who are, are new here and you're just coming in. If you're part of the kingdom of God, we're family then. Like we, have, we all have one father. We have one king. And we all bow our knee to the same king, which means that we're part of the kingdom of God together. So I think the encouragement then is uh, don't, just, don't just take the good news of Jesus as, uh, as the king, as like a ticket you get, oh, now I get to go to heaven. No, he's, he's come as king to transform your, your life and your, your heart. It's this passion that should well up uh, inside of you that uh, just like Amy pronounced, she got new clothes. That we as Christians, we would honestly see it as good news and go, Jesus has forgiven my sins. He, he's restored my relationships. He, he's there in the hard times. He's there in the good times. Jesus, he'll never leave me. No matter what I do, he's going to love me and accept me if, if I just turn to him and make him king. Well, when uh, Amy last night, she got back from a conference this week, and I said, hey, what was that story that you were telling me about that lady that got new clothes? And Was it World War II something? And she said, no, it wasn't World War II. Uh, it was the story of, a, of this man who had a family, young kids, um, and his wife actually passed away, so he needed help. Uh, meanwhile, there was this young Czech girl who escaped uh, communism, was trying for a new life, but had nothing, escaped to America with nothing at all, uh, applied for the job, ended up watching the kids and falling in love with the kids. Um, they went out shopping for uh, the kids to get them some clothes, and the, the husband, who had also been falling in love with the young woman, uh, ends up going and get whatever you need to. Um, she got new clothes. It's more than she got new clothes, right? So when we hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the Son of God, he's, he's the King. It, it's more than information, right? It, it should be welling up in, inside of each one of us that you were lost and broken and he's forgiven you. He's giving you meaning to your life and belonging and salvation. It should change your life, transform your heart. 
Well, that's news uh, to celebrate, isn't it? That's good news. Amen. That's kind of it's good news. Amen. 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 Let's pray and respond in worship. Lord, thank you for boy the just the perspectives of each of the gospel accounts and how you touch their hearts and lives and um, and change them so that I don't think they could do anything but share. I, I got to share with you the, this good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who chose me and invited me into his kingdom, who, who saved me, forgave my sins. And Lord, will we respond as people who are uh, not just getting a ticket and standing in the gate of the kingdom, Lord, that we would uh, see you uh, as our king in every area of our life, that we would explore uh, the kingdom of God in your word, in relationship with other kingdom members, um, and that, Lord, our lives would be transformed by the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.